0: Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is dedicated in loving memory of Linda and Abraham Al Falak, Allah Shalom, Lunish Abraham Ben Sarah, and Yaffa bat Mazal, Allah Shalom, sponsored by their son Jack Cookie Falak. Breakfast is also dedicated in loving memory of Raymonde and David Sofer, Allah Shalom, Lunish David Ben Naima, and Simchabat Han Allah Shalom, sponsored by their son Edward Sofer. Breakfast is also dedicated in loving memory of Moshe Haron Shohet, Allah Shalom, Lunish Moshe Haron Ben Lulu, Allah Shalom, sponsored by his son Haron. Shohet. The Pasuk says a very interesting idea. It says that uh, <clears throat> all of these things that are going to happen to the Egyptians, as we began yesterday, in <inaudible> order that you should speak into the ears of your sons, u'ben <inaudible> in the ears of your sons' sons, et asher b'mitzrayim. That which I ridiculed, I played with Mitzrayim, with the Egyptians. The bam and all of the signs that I placed in them Kiani and you will know that I am Hashem. Now I think this is a very important uh, distinction. It's one of the one, one of the difficult questions that one needs to deal with or ask when it comes to thinking about Egypt and leaving Egypt is that we're talking about a bore olam, a God that can do whatever He wants. He has 10 different plagues that he visits upon the Egyptians, each time going to ask Paro for his permission, as if he needs Paro's permission to take them out. You want to leave, Stop. you know, let the I'll give you, my, here's my favorite example. There's one Makkah, one of the, the Makot that we're going to experience in this week's parashah is the Makkah of Choshech. The Pasuk says, Vayamesh Choshech, which means that darkness, it uh, it, it, it uh, proceeded to enter into Egypt in such a thickness that it was palpable. There was an onset of darkness. A person could not get up from the place that he sat or that he stood for three days. So the first three days of darkness was just dark. The second three days of darkness was such a darkness that a person was incapable of moving. So there was a thickness to this darkness. A person who was sitting couldn't stand, a person who was standing couldn't sit, couldn't move. You want to take the Jews out of Egypt, skip the first three days of Choshech, skip the entire, uh, you know, go straight to Choshech, as we know. And for the Jewish people, it was light wherever they were, they could move around freely in this darkness, to the point where they came and even asked, the Egyptians they ask them what's going on? What are you doing? You know we you know we need to borrow these vessels. They're looking around the house. They find all their special golden vessels and precious jewelry. So that later on at the end when they ask them to borrow a nice kelim, nice things, the Egyptians say, "Oh, I don't have it." The Jew says, "What are you talking about? I saw it on your dresser. It's right there. I can tell you where it is in your house." And they they were forced to bring it out. They were forced to admit. That they, that they had that jewelry that they were denying having. So the, the Egyptians are frozen and the Jews can move around as much as they want. So all you need to do, you want to re- release the Jewish people from Egypt, skip the whole makot, don't send Moshe Rabbeinu to Paro one time. Don't waste your breath. Anyway, you're going to force him to his knees. So just start with that, let the Jews walk out of Egypt, the whole story is done. Why? What, what's this production? Why is all this... Necessary, why do we need to harden the heart of Paro? Why do we need to, you know, bring about all these miracles? How come this whole story has to happen? And the answer is a very powerful answer, not only for Egypt, but also for all of us. There are many situations that a person is put in where the aim of the situation is not actually even the point. A person might have to go through something for whatever reason. Only God knows for the development of their self, for to become a different type of a person, to develop a patience that you don't think you really need until you realize that the child that's about to be born into the family is a child that's gonna need a lot of patience. If you've learned that lesson already, then you don't have uh, you know fireworks, the whole child, the whole, ch- the whole child's youth, because you already learned to be patient. You didn't learn that yet. You have to learn to be patient on the child, You eventually gain the patience, but at the expense of the child having a ruined childhood. A person is forced through some sort of illness or some sort of setback to learn patience before they get married. They wind up having a beautiful marriage. You didn't have that setback in business, where do you get to learn that patience? In the starting years of your marriage, which as we know are foundational. So each thing, aside from the situation itself, many times what we don't understand is that God is not setting up this situation. He's setting up future situations. The Jewish people to leave Egypt could have left in one shot. God could have frozen the whole situation, had the Jewish people walk out very easily. We don't need any conversations with Pharaoh. We don't need Pharaoh telling us no. We don't need the powers of the, you know, everything brought to their ne- We don't need any of that. All that was required was the Jewish people to leave, and that would be true, except that that would not be the desired outcome of this entire exercise of the Jewish people's sojourning in Egypt. What was the purpose therefore of going to Egypt? The only reason why we went to Egypt was in order to leave. And that sounds like a weird thing. What does that mean? That means that the purpose of going through the situation was not the situation, it was the method by which we would be taken out. Let me give you an example. I want you to imagine a child who feels like their father is not on their side. One of the most difficult elements of relationships between parents and children is that the parents think that they do not have the allegiance. They, do, they, tr- they don't trust that the father, the mother, is on their side. And that can happen because the kid, you know, you know, they, you know comes back from the school and the parents re- repeatedly side with the teacher or they side with the other kid. A kid's being bullied at school, and sometimes parents will say, well, you must have done something. Why is he hitting you? No, because he's a bully. So for a child that's suffering so much with that, to have a parent turn around and say, it's not not their fault, it's your fault. It's not the teacher's fault. You must have said something. You must have provoked it. You know, a child has a, a, a marriage that falls apart, and the parents come out in that time, and then they say, this is why I told you. Remember when you were dating? I told you not to date him. Because the last thing the child needs in that moment is the parent to say, I told you so. All that happens is it breaks that trust. What has to happen now for for the parent to communicate that loyalty and trust if it was broken so strongly in a time of extreme trauma? What has to happen is there needs to be a situation set up where the parent can come in and save the child with unequivocal... With uh, unconditional love and support, the price of that to the child is priceless. But even if it costs them going through another mashber, to then have their parent come through for them in that way is a game changer. So much of what psychologists and psych- and uh, and psychiatrists reveal, after finding and working with broken people, is that the root of all their problems is a deficient relationship with your father or a deficient relationship with your mother. If they had gone through something so difficult that then the parent gets to prove themselves, it's worth the smaller pain of the situation to have the larger benefit of knowing that my father's with me. Now we begin to understand what these words mean. Paro, God says to, uh, to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't think you understand in order to drill into the Jewish people, I need you to go to Paro. I need you to have this conversation. I need you to see me fighting each time with the king again. Each time fighting with each nest, with each miracle, each makkah as our rabbis tell us, was specifically designed as a midah kinegid midah for the fact that they did this terrible crime to the Jews. Because they made them stand with the candles on their head while they, you know, when they were taking baths, Borei Olam brought the, what's it called? The frogs into the bathhouses. Because they made them do this, each and every crime that was committed had to have payback so the Jewish people could see that there was not a single thing that went on in their lives that their father in Shamayim did not care about. Not one stub toe, not one sli- paper cut, not one beating, not one sickness, not one death, not one challenge, not one lost coin, nothing that they'd gone through was not witnessed by and then uh, taken payment from HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself for that challenge. Now we hear again what the Pesukim are saying, er Hashem el Moshe, el paro, Please, come to Paro. I need to harden his heart. What he's going to need to go through so that my children will see that not a single thing was missed in the payback of every single deed. Uh, He's going to need a lot of courage and a lot of resilience. Mm -hmm. In order to place these signs in him. Why? What's the purpose of all of this? I need you to say something in the ears of your child, but that's not where it needs to end. There's a famous story that I draw tremendous inspiration from of Rav Shlomo Hyman. Rav Shlomo Ayman had two students in his classroom once. And he's thundering a shiur, he's giving a shiur as if there's a thousand people there. And the students see their rabbi, is already old, he's straining himself, he's exerting himself. They say, Rabbi, you know, you don't need to yell so loud, expend so much energy. You know, look, there's only two of us here. You know, you could, we could hear you even if you were to whisper. It's not a big shiur. And Rav Hyman said, you think I'm only talking to you? I'm screaming not so that you hear me, but I'm screaming so that your children and that your grandchildren can hear me. The impact of this class, if I give it nicely, it goes skin deep. If it's thundered through, it shakes you to your very core. Then not only will you hear me, but your children will hear me. This is what Borei Olam says. I have to do it in this way. How I made a mockery of them. You'll tell over each little prat, each little detail. That's why on the night of the Seder. Not only Areza Shubach, he did a great mitzvah, HaRez Shubach, how praiseworthy it is that this person has developed what the pasuk ends with and says, "Vidatem Ki Ani not and you will say that I am Hashem to your child, but you will be permeated with the deep and penetrating knowledge of the fact that Hashem says, as Hashem says, He is God and that He controls the world and that He cares for each and every person. And the Jewish people, no matter how dire or difficult their circumstances may be. That's what v'yadatem means. To have a complete knowledge. Rabotai, one of the things we've spoken about many times before is that the word uh, in the Torah don't only mean that somebody knew, but they also mean the word adam et and adam knew his wife. It doesn't mean that he met her and he knew her her last name. V'yeda means, and he was intimate with her. So the word knowledge conveys, it speaks to intimacy, marital intimacy between a man and wife. We find that word is the word that's used to indicate a husband and wife in the most intimate of settings. Why a whole other topic for another day, that concept of intimacy between a husband and wife is meant to be one, of complete knowledge of the other person Perhaps the diametric opposition Of today's concept of a one night stand Where you don't even know the person A person willing to give away Their most precious connect tool for connection It's supposed to be something That allows a person to have A knowledge of that person That no one else in the world has And that's why the Torah uses that word In this instance We describe a vidatem And you shall know Hashem a intimacy, a connection, a closeness that no one else in the world has with God but you. Why? If God was paying attention to the candle on the head of this one Jew, if God is paying attention to the time, like the Gemara says, I reached in my pocket to get out a quarter, and instead of pulling out a quarter, I pulled out a nickel. The Gemara says that's called yisurin. That's called suffering that God will deduct from my bank account, kapara will ensure that I will receive some sense of forgiveness, either for my sins or for something else bad that was supposed to happen. Even as simple as that, God has that intimate connection with you. I want you to think about that for one minute. In the vastness of time and space, in the billions and trillions of stars, of cosmos, of planets, there's a tiny little ball, a marble, upon which a tiny little person uh, in the vast expanse of time stands, a person that is not perfect, a person that has done sins, a person that doesn't pray properly or learn properly, a person that doesn't keep Torah and mitzvot to the best of his possible ability, even that person, even me, and even you. Boreh Olam has a connection with you or I that is intimate. It's only for me and it's only for you. What an unbelievable idea that is. Tay, there was a, uh, a young girl who, who was suffering in Eris Israel. She was suffering, unfortunately, from a, a brain tumor. It was incredibly complex, this operation, because the tumor had grown in a way we're trying to deal with the tumor, was automatically going to kill this young woman. The family doesn't know what to do. They go visit the experts in the field and they said, in Israel, we cannot do this surgery. There's only one professor who could do this surgery. He lives in America, in New York, actually. He lives in America. If you take your daughter to him in America, he has a special machine and a special technique where he'd be able to cut around the important vessels in the brain and... Please God, you know your daughter should be able to survive. Bituach lumi doesn't cover you taking trips to America. It doesn't cover traveling. It doesn't cover not going to work. It doesn't cover. It covers things in Israel within the remit of what a national health insurance should cover. But all of a sudden, a, a regular family finds themselves uh, needing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, and they, there's no way so, But at the end of the day, you sell everything you have for the ones that you love. So the house, the car, everything is sold in order to be able to provide a life-saving treatment for their daughter. They're planning exactly the day where they could come in, where they'll need to be in New York City for the minimum amount of time. Because of the days of work off, because they can't afford to stay here, because things are expensive in Manhattan. And they try their best and everything goes exactly as they could have planned, they would have thought. And they arrive in America ready to go and to check in for the surgery. They prep this girl for the surgery. She comes to the thing. They tell her, tomorrow morning, uh, first thing in the morning, you have your surgery with this professor. She's checked in. After a few minutes, they're sitting down. They're praying. They don't know what to do. They're staying as guests in people's homes because they can't even afford a hotel. The doctor comes in. And they can see that he's a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious. And the father says, tell me, doc, be straight with me. What's wrong? Is everything okay with my daughter? He says, it has nothing to do with your daughter. I don't know how to share this with you, he says. But the knife on the machine that I need in order to do the surgery, the knife is broken. It's a pagum. It's, It's some sort of fracture, whatever it is. I can't use it to be able to do it. He says, I'm going to need to get another knife. The guy says, okay, well, how long does that take? You Go, you know, go to uh, Home Depot. You know, the guy's thinking, he says, what are you, Majnun? I have to order this part from Germany. No one, one factory in the world makes it. It's minuscule, you know, it's going to be at least a week or more. The guy says, I don't know what to tell you, you know, uh, uh, we, we can't afford this, we don't have the money, we paid all this money to come here to get the surgery, we don't have, I can't afford to be here for another week. The doctor says, listen, you're free to go if you want to go back home, you can go back home, I, I can't do the surgery. Anyway, they turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and they say, look, you know, Min Hashem, Min Hashem, that's it, what are you going to do? In the next room, there's a another family, not a Jewish family, that's sitting there in the next room, that's also waiting for the surgery immediately after their daughter. And they can hear the news is being delivered also in that room. But there, without Hashem in the room, it looked a little bit different. You hear things being broken, chairs being flipped, you know, the bed is being kicked, the IVs are being thrown around the room, screaming, you know. And after all the violence, you know, it actually made an impression. The doctor said, okay, we're going to send someone special on a flight directly to Germany to pick up the part in person. It will be back here within 24 hours. This Jewish family is sitting there, okay, is what it is. What happened with all the violence, with all the things? Who was scheduled for the surgery first? The first surgery? This non Jewish family. The guy, what's he gonna do? He's gonna go complain now. He saw how they reacted last time. Had there's afraid for his life. So, he, you know, he swallows it. He says, This non Jewish family goes into the surgery, they come out of the surgery. Now, the Jewish family goes in with their daughter into the surgery, 24 hours after they were supposed to. As they walk into into the, the delivery room, the father realizes that the person doing the surgery is not the professor that they flew from Israel and spent all this money to go, who is it? Instead, it's his resident, his assistant. They said, where's the doctor? They said, he's exhausted, he's been in the hospital for 24 hours straight. The last thing he could do was the surgery that we had this morning, Uh, you know, the holdover from yesterday, and now it's the second surgery of the day, he's exhausted, he can't do it, he went home. Well, we paid all the money, did it. the guy says, look, you're free to go if you want to go home. I have this slot, you want me to reschedule, it'll be three months. They don't know if their daughter's going to survive. Okay, the assistant's going to do the surgery, the assistant's going to do the surgery. Do you know, have you done it? I've done the surgery before. Are you confident? Chalas, the resident does the surgery. They come out of the surgery, Baruch Hashem, things look like everything's okay. Baruch Hashem, they're sent home. The doctor says, look, you know, uh, I'm glad everything went the way we hoped it would go. Um, you know, Allah, uh, you know, if there's ever anything that you need, you'd be back in touch. They go back to Israel. Baruch Hashem, this young girl, starts a new life. She begins to have, you know, go go through the process of uh, growing up as a young woman, developing, connecting, you know, going out, they're getting married. And then one day, they're shocked to discover that this tumor that was dealt with, unfortunately, was back. They don't have the money to do this again. But they figure, you know what, let's go back and let's see what they say in the hospital in New York. They can't afford the surgery, they sold their house, they sold their car, they never recovered, but they had their daughter. What could they buy? They could buy a plane ticket. They buy a plane ticket, they come to the hospital. They check into the hospital. Who walks into the room? The assistant. The assistant, Rabbi Tai, who is now in charge of the whole machlaka, of the whole uh, department. department in the, in the hospital. Where's the original professor? Khalas, he's retired. The guy walks in, he says, oh, I remember you. He says, yes, he says, I, I did the surgery when I was a resident. He says, you're telling me that it came back? They said, yes. He says, well, you'll be glad to know that now I'm promoted, I'm running the entire department, I could decide my own schedule, I could make all the decisions by myself. He says, and if this is a surgery that I did, then I'm gonna do the surgery again for free. And I decide when I do it, I remember last time you had to wait, and this time I'm gonna do the surgery right away. Rabbi the surgery gets done on the spot for free. Up in Shammai, Hashem sees the person check in, Hashem says, I think it's time for the knife to break. I think it's time for the family next door to throw a fit. I think it's time for the schedules to be switched i think it's time for the assistant to be promoted do you understand tell your children tell your grandchildren communicate with absolute certainty and emunah that bore olam has your back one hundred thousand percent and if ever there's something that you're going through to understand that bore olam is doing it only in order May God bless us always to experience his Hashkacha and to see it as well.